Welcome to Mokara. My name is Dr. Corey Wren. I am a lecturer in sociology at the University of Kent. I specialize in animals and society, and the Western animal rights movement, and Irish studies, at least when it comes to human-non-human uh, -human relations. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about veganism and vegetarianism in Ireland. And this episode is titled, The Land of Meat and Potatoes for a Reason. I lived in Ireland in Cork, uh, Cork City, for, if you put it all together, about a year and a half. And I was living in the United States at the time and traveling back and forth. Um, and oftentimes when I would tell people I was off to Ireland again, um, they, they would say, okay, but you're vegan, so what are you going to eat? It's just a land of meat and potatoes. Now, having lived in Cork, I knew that that just wasn't true. Um, Ireland, like any other country in the West, has started to embrace a, a move towards plant-based consumption. And, you know, Ireland wasn't, <laughs> wasn't in the Dark Ages. But there's this conception of Ireland as being somewhat backwards and uh, opposed to change and very conservative. And this, I think, is really based in old stereotypes uh, against the Irish. British colonization created a stigma against the Irish as being backwards, barbaric, unable to rule themselves. And um, even beginning back in the first uh, legislation placed on the island back in the 1600s, which fined Irish farmers for using their horses' um, tails as uh, as plows, or rather, instead of having a horse hitched up to a plow, the horse would be tied to a plow by the tail. And there's also um, stories that Irish people would let their cows eat to the point of explosion. And then with the horse situation, um, there's no reason to believe that Ireland was the only place that was doing that. But there is some speculation that perhaps Irish people were tying their plows to horses' tails because the soil there is so rocky. And if the horse um, is pulling the plow along and it hits a rock, they would be more sensitive to it and stop. Um, but these kind of farming practices, just from the very beginning of British colonization, were used as evidence that um, Irish people and their food production was somehow backwards. And then fast forwarding later into the 17 and 1800s, when the population had moved almost singularly onto the potato as a survival mechanism, the potato-eating Irish were stigmatized once again, and it was their diet that was used to justify their unequal treatment and severe oppression. This is something that has happened the world over with various um, colonial relationships. The rice eaters of India, for instance. The rice eaters of China. <laughs> so there's sort of an, a feminization of vegetarian diets in the colonial system. Compare this to the great British beef eaters, and this seems to be, you know, this dominance through their culinary practices seems to be some sort of explanation or justification for why Britain reigned supreme. So what I wanted to do then in this lecture is to really challenge this notion that Ireland is somehow backwards um, or unique in its cruelty towards other animals and or a meat-heavy diet. Certainly today, Ireland's diet is, is quite comparable to other Western countries as far as meat and dairy consumption. Um, but it's also comparable to other Western countries as far as its vegan population. In fact, Board Bia, the food board, is 
uh, in I think late 2018 has actually produced literature where it's drawing attention to the increased interest in veganism in Ireland and has been starting to advise farmers on how they might get in on that trend. Unfortunately, the Board Via has also projected um, through its new FoodWise plan of 2025 that meat and dairy consum uh, production will expand considerably. But Board Via also knows that because of climate change um, pressures, and Ireland is, a, is in fact a, an outlier when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions in the EU because of its meat and dairy production. So the Board Via knows that also um, plant-based production is really going to be the future and products like oats, which are indigenous to Ireland um, and have been produced there for many thousands of years, are now growing in popularities for as far, not just for protein and, and food products, but also in beverage products. Oat milk has really skyrocketed. So yeah, it's, Ireland is it's comparable with its meat and dairy consumption, but it's also comparable with its vegan interest. And what I want to do in this, in this episode is not just to raise attention to that, similarity that Ireland has with the rest of Western Europe, but also to highlight what makes it unique. And it has a very important contribution to modern vegan ethics. So as I mentioned in the first episode, the Irish diet was far more vegetarian than we like to think in modern day kind of reimaginings of the past. And this is an issue that archaeology has always had, anthropology, anthropology has always had, using the current present-day norms in order to interpret the past. So this is the, the whole manufacture of the hunting narrative. And remember in the first episode, I challenged that as well. Hunting really wasn't that big of a system in Ireland. The evidence doesn't really support that. So it's the same thing with meat, meat eating. Meat eating was not a major practice in early Ireland. So what I have called this then is more of a, a Gaelic vegetarianism, something that's indigenous to Ireland. This maybe not full on vegetarianism, but meat consumption was, was very low. And certainly for lower classes and poorer people, meat consumption probably didn't happen at all. And this is something that persisted really through medieval Europe um, because meat and dairy is so expensive to produce. So, um, not to recap everything that happened in the first episode, but I will just say that, um, so what were they eating? They were eating a wide variety of amazing uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts, fungi, um, seaweed was a big part of the diet as well. And this is a diet that was really lost and undermined with colonialism when people's access to the land was severely undermined. Even access to seaweed, which in the very name of it, weed, it seems like it's just more than enough to go around. But in fact, uh, access to seaweed was, was privatized. And in the 1800s, there was actually, quote unquote, seaweed wars over access to this. It really was seen as vital to people's diet, but also to be used as fertilizer. This, I think, is an important thing to revisit when we're talking about uh, a vegan uh, just transition in Ireland. Um, one of the problems with uh, challenging animal agriculture is that uh, animal waste is used as fertilizer for uh, uh, agricultural productions. Um, but when it comes to Ireland, at least, seaweed has historically been used for fertilizing grains and vegetables and whatnot. So that might be something that could be revisited. Right now, unfortunately, seaweed is being scouted out as a potential way to curb or to cheat climate change um, contributions from animal agriculture. So there's thinking that you feed seaweed to cows, which is about the most unnatural thing you can think of. 
um, then that will reduce their methane production. Which, and of course, animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of climate change. Um, and depending on your study that you're looking at is the cause of climate change. Nonetheless, we can look at seaweed and oats and hazelnuts and all these indigenous um, forms of food and sustenance that has really sustained the Irish population for many thousands of years. So I think it's quite ironic and quite sad that when we think about Ireland and the Irish diet, we think about potatoes and meat. Potatoes and meat is very much a colonial type of food way. And we see this actually, like I said, in lots of other cultures that have experienced colonialism, their food ways, their traditional food ways become disrupted, forgotten, undermined, and replaced with colonial food ways, which persist even today to the benefit of those colonial powers. So even today, for instance, uh, the UK is a major importer of Irish foods. So Ireland, even after colonialism has end, ended, is still producing most of this food, sending it off to, um, to the UK. So if you look at in the United States, um, Africa also, much of Africa lived on plant-based um, diets. But when African people were brought to the United States as slaves, that traditional food way, of course, was really disrupted. They had to make do with the foods that were available to them. And this is one of the reasons why you see soul food today in modern America is so heavy on meat and dairy and all that sort of stuff. And uh, unlike white northerners like Ireland, Irish people, for instance, that we talked about in the first episode, a lot of people of color, African people, can't digest lactose. So it's, it's, it's a particularly sad thing, I think when the colonial foodways are actually toxic to the people who are now expected to consume them and it becomes part of their, their culture, maybe unwittingly. There's a lot of people don't really think about where, where do these food traditions come from? So anyway, this is certainly the case in Ireland. This meat and potato stuff is, is certainly linked to colonialism, potatoes being an American import directly used to sustain the peasantry when all their land had been taken away to produce the animal products for, else, for Britain and elsewhere. So... If we wanted to reimagine the traditional Gaelic diet, I think it would behoove us to perhaps look back at the archaeological re records and the uh, anthropological records that show that you know, this, there's not very much meat being consumed. There's a lot more fruits and vegetables and nuts and fungi. And this is the Gaelic vegetarianism that I'm talking about. Um, of course, this still leaves in butter and milk and cheese. Um, and I'm not here to, at all to defend that because this still is a major systemic violence against non-human animals who are used for that production. Um, but this, of course, veganism now is becoming more popular. So when I'm saying let's reimagine a vegan, a, a vegetarian, Gaelic vegetarianism, it's not to say let's just romanticize the past because there was still a lot of suffering involved with that type of food system. But today, Ireland is looking forward. And Ireland is embracing new culinary traditions. It's not an isolated island cut off from the world. It's increasingly a globalized space. In fact, this is one of the legacies of colonialism as well, that Ireland, its diaspora is all over the world. And now people are coming back with different food ways and different culinary traditions, and it's creating a new type of eating in Ireland. But what I do want us to do is kind of challenge this notion of Ireland, what Ireland is, is meat and dairy, when in fact that is something that was constructed much more recently. And a lot of, actually a lot of the nationalists who were working for, to free Ireland were very much so aware 
that animal agriculture was key to the, um, the structural violence that was happening in Ireland, to the people, to their bodies. And a lot of them actually advocated for, for vegetarianism, saying that if we, don't, if we don't push for vegetarianism, Ireland will never truly be free. And truer words were never spoken. As I said, now Ireland is still bound to, Ireland, bound to England and the, uh, Great Britain as far as its economic um, stability. When Brexit happened, all hell broke loose in Ireland because there was this huge fear of what's going to happen with Irish food. Where is it going to go? Um, because they relied so heavily on those relationships um, with, with Great Britain. A little bit about the history of veganism and vegetarianism now in more recent times. So as I said, that's historically mostly a plant-based diet. Then with colonialism, it switches from a Gaelic vegetarianism, a Gaelic in, indigenous vegetarianism, to a colonial vegetarian diet of paucity and, and um, scarcity where people were not getting their nutrition met, and people were not getting enough to eat. In the late 1800s, several vegetarian organizations sprouted up in Dublin, Belfast, I think maybe one in Londonderry. And then later in the, the earlier part of the 20th century, when the Vegan Society formed in the UK, it collaborated heavily with folks in Ireland, especially in Northern Ireland, of course, which is part of the UK. But they also did speaking tours in the Republic it's a very interesting article that came, uh, it was featured in the Irish Times, and it was titled The Only Vegan in Ireland. <laughs> and it was written right after World War II, and uh, her name was Moira, and they asked her about what it was like to be a vegan, and she was basically complaining. It's really interesting to see, like, what it was it like to be uh, a vegan in Ireland in that time. And she was basically complaining that with, they, they didn't have nearly as many um, vegan alternatives in Ireland as they did in the UK. She's talking about like nut butters and things like that. <laughs> My how things have changed. If you go to any grocery store in Ireland now, you'll find soy milk, almond milk, oat milk, veggie burgers of all different make, um, all kinds of alternatives. So indeed, the first vegetarian restaurant, actually a lot of vegetarian restaurants at that time were very much so um, hotspots for nationalist agitation. The College in Dublin was a vegetarian restaurant that ran for some time. It shows up in James Joyce's Ulysses. Um, there was also, uh, I think it was called the Farmer's Market or something like that, that was run by Jenny Wise, who was um, associated with independence and a suffragette and all that good stuff. And in fact, her restaurant, her vegetarian restaurant, was the place supposedly where the 1916 proclamation was signed. So vegetarians very much so all up in that nationalist movement. And it, after that, the, the vegetarian, first wave of the vegetarian and animal rights movement kind of waned with the coming of the Great War and then the Second War, uh, attention went elsewhere. And especially in Ireland when it was dealing with its own independence. So it wasn't really until the 1970s that you see an, an, another vegetarian restaurant uh, pop up and that was called Good uh, karma, I think, and it was in Dublin, of course. And then in the 1980s, Cornucopia showed up in Dublin, and it's still there today. I think it's like the longest-running vegetarian restaurant. Also in Belfast in the 80s, during the Troubles, the height of the Troubles, a restaurant called the War Zone sprouted up, and I would say I think it's safe to say that's the longest-running vegan restaurant in Ireland. 
So yeah, after yeah, by the time we get to the late twentieth century, veganism and vegetarianism has become much more accessible in Ireland, just like elsewhere in the world. And there are lots of amazing animal rights organizations that are working there. Vegan organizations like Go Vegan World. It's run by Sandra Higgins. And uh, what's also unique about animal rights activism in Ireland is that it has for whatever reason, resisted the major professional organizations that dominate in the UK, the US, Canada, and elsewhere. It's got a much more grassroots type of activist scene. So I don't think it's fair to say that Ireland is the land of meat and potatoes. Um, it's certainly heavy, heavy on its animal agriculture, but so is the UK and so is the US. Uh, there's a growing population of vegans. There's growing interest in vegan restaurants. I was mentioning Cork earlier. But Cork is not, it's not in any way the kind of major global international city that Dublin is, but Cork even has vegan, has a vegan restaurant on, last I went, on the River Lee. And in Dublin, interesting enough, in 2019 was named the most vegan-friendly city by TripAdvisor, Dublin, Ireland. So there you go. Building off of the last episode, we might also remember that Ireland has traditionally been a Catholic culture. Although Ireland is certainly secular, secularizing like the rest of Europe, um, that Catholicism still holds strong there. And traditionally, Catholics would have gone without meat and dairy um, during Lent and on certain religious um, holidays. So this is something that is not just, this vegetarianism is not just something that is historic to ancient Irish people, but it was also quite reinforced by early Christianity and the heavy Catholicism that would come under colonialism. And if you think about it, really, that, that sort of vegetarianism, ritualistic vegetarianism, was important for making sure there was enough food to go around. It was, there was also fasting involved with it. So indeed, vegetarianism is, is something that is really linked to Ireland past and present. And looking forward, this is going to be a new type of a new reimagined Irish Gaelic veganism. So there are cooks, there's chefs, there's authors, there's activists who are all throughout Irish society who are working to make the island a better place for non-human animals to resist a lot of the colonial dietary acts of um, violence against the Irish constitution because of the, all this meat and dairy intake, of course, it comes with all sorts of health problems. Thinking about how we might transition farmers into a more just type of um, production, farming community in Ireland, which has traditionally really been the backbone of Irish society and really revered in Irish culture, they've been suffering quite a lot under globalization, industrialization of farming practices, EU policies which um, reward larger farming institutions and really uh, undermine local farming, family farming operations. More on farming in the next episode. Slan.